0: That was just... Oh, gosh. Um, I remember that was one of the first hymns that I'd ever heard when I came into a Baptist church, and it was not well when we played it. (laughs) It was very much... uh, I remember Maria and I were joking about it. It was very much like... It is well with my soul. It was about the antithesis of what the song is saying. Is what the emotion that was coming along with it. Okay, well, I better stop talking about that because I apologize. I literally bit off more than I can chew in this passage. There's no way I'm getting through it in less than 20 minutes. So um, we'll do the best we can. Tonight I want us to look at Luke 17, uh, verses 1 through 6. I'm calling it the necessity of walking by faith. Uh, This passage has been extremely challenging for me in the past week and To be honest, there's just a ton of information in just a few verses. Um, Loads and loads of information out there on Christian liberty, uh, keeping your brother from stumbling and how we should walk. Uh, We're going to scratch the surface on that. Uh, Many resources written on the topic of forgiveness, and we'll barely touch it. And books and books written on the topic of faith. And we'll be fortunate to come away with having our faith increased the amount of mustard seed. But I hope we are challenged and encouraged by God's word this evening. So let's read the text. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Before we get into these points, we need to set the context. We know Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, but we aren't sure how long he had been at this time. Uh, It was very likely recently after the Mount of Transfiguration and the demon-possessed boy as he came down uh, that the disciples could not cast out. Even so, whenever it happened, I'm certain they were on their way to Jerusalem. So three points tonight, not in equal Value, Number one, a warning about how we should walk. Number two, a radical call to forgiveness. And three, why faith is crucial. Verses one through four give us a few warnings and exhortations. Verse one, temptation is sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. There will be moments when you will be doing that thing that you don't want to do in accordance with the old self. There is a way in which we can be tempted by evil powers and demonic forces. We have a good example of that with Christ himself in Matthew 4 and Luke chapter 4. But we can also be tempted by other people, and we can be tempters ourselves. People can tempt others to sin. We can cause others to stumble. I think the New American Standard Version will actually help us understand this passage more accurately, and it reads, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come but woe to him through whom they come. And the Greek word for stumbling block there is scandalon, and it's where you will find temptations to sin in the ESV. It very literally means a trap, a snare. Think of an animal getting caught in a stick. Is that me? Stick soups away, don't swoop. Falls under the box. If you are a sinner, and you are, you know that temptation will come. It is inevitable. It will happen. Jesus is warning the disciples here that it is possible for us to cause others to stumble, and we need to be careful about how we walk and the situations we put ourselves in. But why be careful? It is for freedom Christ has set us free, you may say. I died to the elemental spirits and regulations of this world, such as do not taste, do not touch, I have Christian liberty. And I would tell you all of those statements are very true. You, do are, you are free in Christ. You do have liberty. We are not under law. We are under grace. The heavy yoke of bondage that calls us to cling to the law instead of grace is deceitful. But we have died to the law and are free through the blood of Christ. However, these commands by Jesus in Luke chapter 17 are not bondage but rather a call to love your neighbor. Even though we are justified by grace through faith, if we love, and that's not a small even though, that's a very big, but even though we are justified by grace through faith, if we love the Lord, we will want to keep his commandments. So again, why be careful? Verse 2. Now for those of you who don't know what a millstone is, it says it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck, and you were cast into the sea. It's a very large stone. I'm not going to do it justice, and I'm afraid to move too much right now. Uh, very large stone. It would have taken a large animal, such as a donkey, to haul it for grinding grain. Um, it wouldn't be... I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if we saw one out at your house someday. I I mean, you would... <laughs> Oh, okay. I tried to be too. I tried to be too cool with that. That's how they taught us to do it in school. Yeah, that too. Uh, Matthew eighteen gives us a parallel passage. Whoever causes one of these little ones, who believe in me, Jesus, to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Now before you think, that's a really good example, Jesus. Thanks for sharing that. He didn't make it up. He got this illustration from culture. It was a common form of capital punishment for Greeks, Syrians, Romans, and other nations to use this method of tying a millstone around your neck and throwing you into the water. What happens next? You drown and die a terrible death. The Jews found this type of death penalty to be barbaric. So he definitely had the attention of the twelve. I wonder, just a side thought, I wonder if they found crucifixion to be barbaric. Slightly paraphrasing what Jesus said, it would be better for this to happen to you than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Who are the little ones? While the image makes you think of small children, the context points toward those who are spiritually young or immature in the faith, maybe even those who are new to the faith. John uh, uses this language in his letter. 1 John 2.1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. 1 John 2.12, I am writing to you little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. He's clearly not only addressing four and five year olds when he said that. Think about this. He He doesn't just say causing someone to stumble is a bad thing to do. He adds some flair to it and he has their attention. It would be better for this to happen. It would turn out to be advantageous for you to be thrown into the sea with your head stuck in a millstone and meet your death and to cause someone young in the faith to stumble. Think about that. We should should take this very seriously. Romans 14, 21. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. I know we focus a lot on drinking and eating in that, but the second part grabs my attention. Anything that causes your brother to stumble, anything covers all the gray areas. So it causes us to look inward and think about how we walk. We need to watch how we walk. We need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We should walk humbly with our God and guide people to the Savior, not cause them to trip and turn away. We should be pillars of truth, not hazards leading to doubt. A severely horrible death by drowning is better than causing one who is weak in the faith to stumble and sin. Let's move on. So that was point number one. Point number two, a radical call to forgiveness. Verses 3 and 4. Let's look at it again. Pay attention to yourself, selves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. First be, three begins with pay attention to yourselves. Be on guard, beware, watch out. This language is calling you to the seriousness, seriousness of it. Pay attention. If your brother sins, rebuke him. and if he repents, forgive him. Specifically, this means if your brother sins against you. And we know that from the parallel passage in Matthew, it goes in more detail. Rebuking someone means to show disapproval and corrective criticism toward actions they have committed. Sinning, we know, can be in thought, word, or deed. And we actually get a little foretaste of this in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19.17, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Remember, Jesus said, I came not to abolish the law, but to... Fulfill it. Instead of repaying evil for evil, our goal should be reconciliation to someone who has wronged us. Reconciliation, fancy word. Happens when both parties, the offended and the offender, bring restoration to to their relationship by repenting and forgiving and loving. We should let brotherly love continue. We should be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We should want our brothers and sisters to be restored and to be in good fellowship with us. A side note, this is also a step to follow regarding our church on the topic of church discipline. Uh, Andy has a very well-written process on that. Um, Is that available? Yeah? Somewhere? It's, It's really good. You should check it out if you have it. When there is any conflict, the best way to deal with it is sooner rather than later. Don't put off being reconciled to your brother or sister. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Verse 4 continues the thought. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. One thing I need to point out that we don't generally think about, the scripture does say, if he repents. Both verses 3 and 4 sound very conditional in their forgiveness. And there are preachers, theologians, the like, that call this conditional forgiveness. Think about what it says in Second Corinthians 7, verses 9 and 10. As it is, I, Paul, rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. We should forgive as God forgives. Sin that is habitual, never ceasing, has no intention to stop, simply cannot result in reconciliation unless it is stopped. This is a specific type of sin, I believe, probably in light of Church discipline, more details in Matthew 18. As a lot of things in this passage we're talking about. It does say, if you're brother, right? As well, so we know that the context belongs to those inside the church. Whether brother against brother or sister against sister, we know that all sin is most of all against God, and it must be stopped first. Repent literally means a change of mind. That change of mind has to be a godly repentance. It has to be God-given. Under Another thing that is for certain, if anyone repents, this is for certain. If anyone repents, we are under obligation to forgive them. You have to forgive them. How many times? We'll get there. We shouldn't be indignant toward those who wrong us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love sinners, after all, you are one. And be quick to forgive. The type of forgiveness that Jesus is calling for here is a bit stronger than we may naturally think of it. We tend to have a more modern, hands-off form of forgiveness. Yeah, I forgive you, but I don't really want to see you anymore. Go over there. Uh, You're forgiven, but... I'll have nothing to do with you. And classic, I'll forgive you, but I'm never going to forget. No way. I don't know why I think of a Southerner saying that. <laughs> and no, forgive should mean that when we forgive people, it is as if the person never committed the sin. That's how God forgives. Biblical forgiveness is a very radical ask. I don't think we should be blind when we forgive or not be learning from mistakes, but we shouldn't always be looking for that caveat either, right? Uh, A lot of us want a way out as if we're waiting for the next time we're sinned against so we can be right and say something. like, Aha! I knew it, Richard. I knew you were going to do it. I shouldn't have forgiven you. No. As we stated earlier, Matthew 18, uh, Peter asking Jesus about forgiveness. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brothers, when my brother sins against me, shall I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus responds to him like this, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Other places he says 70 times seven. Whether you want to think of it in terms of that, 70 times seven, 490 times, seven times. Whatever makes you feel better, Jesus is not concerned with the limit. The takeaway is that there should be no limit to the amount of forgiveness we offer as Christians. We are forgiven people, why? Because we've been forgiven much, daily. Hebrews 8.12, quoting the prophet Jeremiah, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. 2 Corinthians 5.19, that is, in Christ God was reconciling, the world to himself, not counting their men's trespasses against them. So if any repenting individual asks us for forgiveness, whether the offense was large or small, we should be quick to forgive them. It's a joy to forgive. It's a joy to be reconciled. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving, as God in Christ forgave you, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. And it's not easy, okay? It's not always easy, and it can be very painful, but it's liberating, and it's worth it. I will never be able to repay the wages of my sin to God, but in Christ I'm forgiven. Think about your relationship with God. You will never be able to repay the wages of your sin, but be encouraged. God in Christ has forgiven you. He bore the wrath deserved for you and I, and we have received mercy and grace upon grace. Our sins, they are many. Our transgressions, our offenses, His mercy, His forgiveness is more. Christ is long-suffering toward us. Daily. Isn't that good news? God is patient with us. We should seek to love our neighbors as ourselves on this topic. But do we believe it? And that brings us to our third point. Why faith is crucial. So let's look at that again. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, it's tricky. It's hard to say if these two verses here are linked to the ones before or not. I can definitely see this thought continuing out. Um, I can imagine what they were feeling, hearing this radical command to forgive and this radical way to watch how we walk. Can anyone do that? How can I keep others from stumbling? How how in the world can I forgive someone like you are asking me to do, Jesus? There are just some difficult, crazy people out there. Increase my faith. That makes sense. On the other hand, it could be very possible that this is in reference to what happened in Mark 9, which we'll visit in a little bit when they came down from the mountain of transfiguration. Littleness of faith is a reoccurring problem throughout the Gospels. Jesus, here's some examples. Jesus telling people not to worry in the Sermon on the Mount. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Some of you were probably saying that with me. When they were in a boat in the middle of a storm, he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Peter, walking out on the water, Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And another instance occurs in Mark 9. When the disciples were rebuked for their faith, not being strong enough to cast a demon out of a man's son. I'm going to read verses 17 to 24 from Mark 9. You can listen. You can go there if you want. And someone from the crowd answered him, Jesus, teacher, I have brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately and convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can... All things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And then Jesus goes on to cast the demon out. Lord, increase our faith. We need help. All these responses that we've talked about, they're all negative. They're all negative responses in faith. But I think if we're honest, we can relate to a few of these situations. Most likely, all of you have read the passage from Matthew 6. Do not worry. And while you're reading it, you're probably worrying. (laughs) Maybe some of you have conquered worry. I'll let you know tomorrow. I think that will always be the answer for me. What about the boat and the storm? This is just so strange to me. If you were in a boat in the middle of the sea and a man you were following, the man you were following, you believed him to be the Son of God and he was asleep... You thought you were gonna die. You could see yourself waking up in a bit of a frantic state. Uh, I mean, waves tossing along the sea. I've never been in a sailboat, but I should ask Kurt. Hey, you know, this boat's about to sink. This is how I would react. Hey, you know, this boat's about to sink and I think we're gonna die, but you know, he's got this, that sleeping guy over there. Oh, look, water's coming in. No, no, you would not react like that. You would probably be just like them. Help me, I'm gonna die. In our last case, this man just saw the disciples of Jesus fail to cast the demon out of his son. If you can, isn't the best way to ask Jesus something. But it's understandable, right? He just watched them fail. So what caused this cry of faith from the disciples? Whether the situation was the demon-possessed boy prompted, by the, prompted this cry, increase our faith, or... The difficult exhortation to not make people stumble, to radically forgive everyone caused it, the response applies to both. In fact, the response, increase our faith, is valid for a multitude of situations. Let's look at verse 6 and we'll tie this all together. And the Lord said, If you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1 defines it for us. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence or conviction of things not seen. If you had the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, the size of this you could do what Jesus is telling you to do. Is Jesus talking about, now we've got to ask some questions here. Is Jesus talking about throwing mountains and trees into the sea? No. I think it goes beyond a magic trick. He was standing by a tree when he said it. Good example. What does this mean? What is his point? Moving mountains, throwing trees, causing trees to wither in other places by faith. He even says by faith as he causes the tree to wither. It's something miraculous. God. Can, here's the question, can God do these things? Yeah, absolutely, he's God. And don't test him. Don't, don't doubt him like the man in Mark 9. Say, if you can. Yes, God can, and he has done wonderfully miraculous things, whether on his own or through people. The lame walk, the blind see, the mute speak, illnesses are removed and healed. Wonderful things. But our miracles the point? Earlier in the book of Luke, when the 70 return, talk, they talk about how much power they have over the demons. We're casting out demons. You know, Jesus didn't say, oh, great is your faith. He said, you know what? I saw Satan fall like a star from heaven. Don't rejoice because you could do this. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Miracles are not the point, but they point to the point. They point to the source. We should walk by faith in God's ability, not ours. So let's switch gears for a moment. I'm going to come away for just a moment. I want us to think about three essential components of saving faith, and they can be useful here. They are in Latin, so bear with me. They are noticia, assensus, and fiducia, fiducia. To believe Christ, we have to first know something about him. Notitia means knowledge or to know. So to believe God, we must know aspects about him, Romans 10. How then will they call on him in whom they've never believed? How will they believe in him of whom they've never heard? Knowing aspects about God are not enough. We must also believe him to be true. True. A census is the conviction that the knowledge, notitia, is actually true. It isn't enough just to know things about God. We cannot remain agnostic, but we must believe that the knowledge we have received is truth. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must believe His words. So, we have the knowledge of God and the truthfulness of the message, and that takes us to the third aspect of faith, and that is fiducia. Fiducia is the trusting of ourselves to Christ. This is so crucial to everything we've been discussing so far. We believe in Him and we trust Him. Even the demons believe in God. And they know He can do what He says He will do. But they don't trust Him. We have to trust what Christ has done and what He says in the Word. These three components make a saving faith, but they are crucial for our walk. As well, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Faith is a rooted trust in the Lord, not in ourselves, that he can do whatever he pleases, that he is good, that he is in control, that his words are true, and that he will do what he says he's going to do. Faith requires belief that trust and true faith is rooted and grounded in Christ. So, let's make a quick transition. Now, we looked at faith in the negative. Let's look at, let's be fair. Let's look at some positive examples. A centurion asked Jesus to heal his paralyzed servant, and Jesus says, he will come and heal him. The man says, just say the word, and he will be healed. Jesus heard this. He marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, No one in Israel have I found such faith. Canaanite, Syrophoenician woman, begging Jesus to heal her daughter possessed by a demon. And Jesus initially tells her to leave. Go. I came to the lost sheep of Israel. It's not right to take the children's breadcrumbs and give them to the dogs. Gentile reference. To which she replies, even the dogs get the scraps that fall off the table. He says... Oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. One more example. The leper in Mark chapter 1 implored Jesus, "If you will, you can make me clean." Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him and said, "I will. Be clean." Their faith was in the source. Their faith was in God. They knew he could do what he said he would do because of who he was. It feels like we've been talking about three different things so far. It feels like we've been talking about forgiveness and stumbling blocks and faith. But it's all connected. Faith is essential to every aspect of the Christian life. That includes forgiving and walking humbly with the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said on faith, We ought to be more careful of our faith than of anything else. True, we ought to examine our conduct. We ought to search our works. We ought to try our love, but above all, our faith. For if faith be wrong, all is wrong. If faith be right, we may take that as the touchstone of our sincerity. He that believeth on the Son of God hath eternal life abiding in him. So faith isn't something we simply have or we don't. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith. And a saving faith requires trust in Christ. We are not saved by just love. We are saved by grace through faith. Without faith, no one can please God. The mustard seed and the plea from the disciples to increase our faith show us that we can have more faith, but we usually have very little. It's normal to have less than this much. That's normal. That's natural. When we pray and ask things of God, do we think like the man with the possessed son in Mark 9, if you can, or like the leper in Mark 1, if you will? Do we believe Jesus? Do we believe that all things work together for for our good? Do we believe God is for us? Do we believe there is no condemnation? All of these promises are just in one chapter in the Bible? Do we believe one chapter of the Bible? (laughs) What were the disciples thinking after being commanded to walk with such extreme caution and radically forgive? Do we have faith to watch how we walk so that we walk by faith and not by sight? Do we realize the just live by faith? Question for us. Do we believe that Christ was tempted in every way and didn't sin and He will give us the grace to avoid falling into temptation? Do we believe He is faithful to forgive, and He will give us the grace to forgive others? Do we believe He is faithful when we are not? Will we change our pleas from, Lord, can you help me, to, Lord, will you help me? Big difference. Do you believe that if you seek first Christ's kingdom, that everything else will be added to you? Do you believe he will help your unbelief? Do you trust Christ? The gospel hinges on faith, and not just faith in our faith, but faith in Christ. I don't want you to think, I need to do more. I need. I need there's so many things that I'm not doing right now. I'm not doing enough. No, we need to believe more. Naturally, you will do more if you believe more, by the way. I want us to have our faith increase so that we go beyond trusting ourselves and trusting in the grace of our Lord to give us the ability to move into will. We must know in whom we have believed. We must know that we are sinners deserving wrath and condemnation. This is what you deserved. But praise be to Christ, we are receiving grace and glorification. We must call upon the name of the Lord, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only knowing we are saved in Him, but that all of God's promises are ours in Him as well. His grace is sufficient. We're clothed in the righteousness of God. Abraham believed God, and it was a credit to him as righteousness. For known, predestined, called, and justified, and we are well-pleasing to the Father as His own sons and daughters with a standing in Christ that allows us to boldly approach the throne of grace. So maybe you've thought, while we've been here, I, I thought this while I've been studying this. I've made someone stumble. I've given in to temptation. I have not forgiven my brother. I haven't repented to my sister. Hear the commandments of Jesus and be reconciled. If you need to repent, do it. Right? This is what he's telling us to do. If you need to forgive, do it. If you aren't offering forgiveness, do it. If you are given or have given into temptation and stumbled or caused someone else to stumble, run to the gospel. If all is well, rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Christ was perfect in every way, innocently led to his death. He caused no one to stumble, but gave us a solid rock. He didn't die by the millstone because he didn't deserve it. But he didn't deserve nails in his hands either, he was nailed to the cross. Paid the penalty for your sins, rose from the dead, and conquered the grave. That's good news. Run to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the hope within you. I love the words of one of the hymns that we sing. When temptation claims the battle, and it seems the night has won, deeper still then goes the anchor, Christ Though I justly stand accused, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. Everyone be encouraged. You fall in your temptations, but you are forgiven in Christ. Temptation will claim the battle. It will. But the sure and steadfast anchor carries you safely through the trials of life. You are clothed in righteousness divine. Continue in repentance when you sin because where the condemnation of the law abounds, grace abounds more and more. Confess your sins to the Lord. He is faithful to forgive you. Ask and pray for an increased faith. Whatever you ask in my name, I will give you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Remembering this as you walk, the just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this truth. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for grace and faith. And we just ask collectively together, God, that you increase our faith. That you scare the doubt away. That you remind us of how sweet it is to trust in Jesus. That when, when we hear, when we sing about it is well, it is well, that we believe it. Help us to believe more. Help our unbelief. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.